Hello, I'm Reverend Dr. Sally Douglas and you are welcome here. You're welcome here if you are full of faith as you listen and pray and worship. You are welcome here if you are wrestling with issues of faith. You're welcome here if anxiety is pulling at your core or if joy is flowing through you. As we say each week as we gather at Richmond Uniting, you're welcome here. Please participate as much or as little as you feel able. In this audio recording, there'll be pauses at different points and I haven't lost my place. There'll be invitations into deeper stillness, into wider prayer, into space for your own reflecting. And if in addition to this at any point, you feel like you need time to think some more or pray more deeply, just feel welcome to press pause and take as long as you need to journal or pray or draw or think. There'll also be some pauses, some invitations to pause and play a particular song that means something to you that connects with the themes that we're exploring. So as we gather in this new era and in this new style of worshipping, you might want to pause and light a candle or create a little prayer space in your own home where you can rest in this time, perhaps with an icon or an image perhaps with something beautiful on your kitchen table. Or if you're worshipping while you walk, you might want to pause for a moment just to reflect on what you see around you. So as we gather, I invite us all to take a deeper breath. To breathe more deeply. To breathe more slowly. And as you slow your breathing and settle into this moment, wherever you are, I invite you to become aware of your body and if there are particular places where you are holding tension. To relax those places. As you continue to breathe deeply and slowly and to rest and to unfurl into this moment. I invite you to consciously open your inner being, the eyes of your heart, to the one who is present to all of us. The one in whom we live and move and have our being. Let's pray. Radiant God. Blessed Trinity, community of love. We gather together on sacred ground. You who infuse all things 
and delight in it, one, you who delight in us. We gather in this sacred time. You who make camp among us in Jesus. The beloved one who heals the blind and touches the leper. We gather to your sacred presence. You who in spirit are as close as our breathing. The birther of good, the bringer of hope. We gather to you. We gather in our longing. We gather in our fear. We gather in our joy, seeking your light and your wisdom and your sustenance. Precious God, blessed Trinity. We're still before you. Through Christ we pray. Amen. Today in worship we're focusing on the theme of light and sight and so you might want to pause for a moment and play a song or sing a song or hymn that is precious to you that speaks of light. There's the Taze chant, the Lord is my light, my light and my salvation. It might be another hymn that is or song that is really precious to you, so feel welcome to do that. As we gather together, though spread across our city, we honour the people of the Kulin Nation, the Wurundjeri people, their ancestors and elders past and elders present and elders emerging, and we join our yearnings with the yearnings of the divine for justice and healing and reconciliation. All around the world there are set readings each week and we share these across denominations, which is a beautiful thing. And today is the psalm that is probably the most well-known psalm, or at least some parts of it are, Psalm 23, and it's astonishingly beautiful in its imagery. The imagery is of a shepherd and the people being the sheep. And I come from a sheep farm, so I, maybe that's why I really resonate with this psalm on some deep levels. But it's not a call to be stupid, as though sheep are stupid and just led astray and God is some wielding taskmaster or something. Having grown up on the farm, I know that sheep are far from being stupid. They're gentle, wise animals. And the metaphor is not about that kind of construct. Instead, it's really the imagery of being protected by God, being attended to and guarded. You know, the imagery of the rod and the staff are images of protection from those who might cause harm and in places which feel really dangerous. And it feels like a really pertinent psalm to me right now as our global village goes through some really dark valleys. 
So you might want to get out your Bible and read along with me or just listen now to Psalm 23, this ancient, ancient prayer. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me by still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord. My whole life long. This is a psalm that you might want to come back to over the coming week. There might be some particular words in it that really strike you that you want to stay with a particular section or phrase of the psalm that becomes a mantra for you. The Lord is my shepherd, or I fear no evil. Or your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Turning to... Our gospel reading, it's this really long, amazing story from John's gospel. And I'm really quite excited to share it with you. And I've been thinking about it quite a lot this week. So the thing about John's gospel, just before we read it together, to give a bit of context, we don't know who the author of John is. And there are some theories that there could be like a combination of eyewitness account merged with the layering of a later storytelling but what's really interesting about John's gospel is that the focus is really clearly not just that Jesus did amazing things, but much more interested in what it meant and what it might it mean about who and how God is and what might it mean about how we live in community as humans. And so I invite you to listen in deeply to this story, which on one level is about a blind man receiving sight, but on another level is much more to do with themes of uh, suffering and blame and true vision and blindness and the nature of God in suffering. All of these themes are explored in this account in John 9. As I'm reading, you might want to imagine yourself in the scene. And in later audio recordings, we might explore this type of prayer a little more. But today, just a little note of invitation that if you'd like to Imagine yourself as I read in terms of thinking about where would you be in this setting and, and what do you see and even what you smell, what do you hear, what do you notice. Not as a, as a test as though there's one way to imagine this scene only but as an invitation into a more multi-dimensional way of experiencing this sacred text not just on some intellectual level, but as a, as a fuller, more experiential process of reading. So I'll read the whole account to you and then we'll discuss it. But it's John chapter 9. As Jesus walked along, he saw a man blind from birth. 
His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he's been born blind? Jesus answered, Neither this man nor his parents sinned. He was born blind so that God's works might be revealed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. When he had said this, he spat on the ground and made mud with the saliva and spread the mud on the man's eyes, saying to him, Go, wash in the pool of Siloam, which means scent. Then he went and washed and came back able to see. The neighbours and those who had seen him before as a beggar began to ask, Is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some were saying, It is he. Others were saying, No, but it's someone like him. He kept saying, I am the man. But they kept asking him, Then how were your eyes opened? He answered, The man called Jesus made mud, spread it on my eyes and said to me, Go to Siloam and wash. Then I went and washed and received my sight. They said to him, Where is he? He said, I do not know. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had formerly been blind. Now it was a Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. Then the Pharisees also began to ask him how he'd received his sight. He said to them, He put mud on my eyes, then I washed, and now I see. Some of the Pharisees said, This man is not from God, for he does not observe the Sabbath. But others said, how can a man who is a sinner perform such signs? And they were divided. So they said again to the blind man, what do you say about him? It was your eyes he opened. He said, well, he's a prophet. The Jewish leaders did not believe that he'd been blind and received his sight until they called the parents of the man who'd received his sight and asked them, is this your son? who you say was born blind, how then does he now see? His parents answered, We know that this is our son and that he was born blind, but we do not know how it was now that he sees, nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him, he is of age, he'll speak for himself. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders. For the Jewish leaders had already agreed that anyone who confessed Jesus to be the Messiah would be put out of the synagogue. Therefore his parents said, He's of age, ask him. So, for the second time they called the man who had been blind and they said to him, Give glory to God, we know that this man is a sinner. He answered, I do not know whether he is a sinner. One thing I do know though, that though I was blind, now I see. They said to him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered them, I have told you already and you would not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? Then they reviled him saying, you are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we do not know where he comes from. The man answered, here is an astonishing thing. You do not know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but he does listen to one who worships him and obeys his will. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a person born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. 
They answered him, you were born entirely in sins and are you trying to teach us? And they drove him out. Jesus heard that they had driven him out. And when he found him, he said, do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered, and who is he, sir? Tell me so that I may believe in him. Jesus said to him, you have seen him, and the one speaking with you is he. He said, Lord, I believe, and he worshipped him. Jesus said, I came into this world for judgment so that those who do not see may see, and those who do see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees near him heard this and said to him, Surely we are not blind, are we? Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would not have sin. But now that you say, We see, your sin remains. These words of faith and Jesus the word. Thanks be to God. I wonder what your first reactions are to this story, to this account in John. I wonder what questions this raises for you. I wonder if there are particular phrases or encounters within this account that really strike you. You may want to pause just for a moment and write those down or journal a little about them or make a picture or talk with those who you are sharing in this worship service. I want to unpack this account with you just a little while we can. You may have noticed quite near the very beginning of this account in John's Gospel, we hear this conversation about sin and it's the disciples who bring it up. Because they assume when they see this blind man, they assume point blank that the reason that this man has been born blind is because of sin. Someone is to blame. This is a deserved consequence from God for some human action. This is the only worldview that is possible for them. Someone has sinned. And the question really is, well, who was it? Was it the man, even though it happened when he was a baby, or was it the parents? This is the paradigm that they're operating in. And while we might be tempted to laugh or think that's a bit ridiculous, this kind of view is very, very close to the surface still today, both in Christian contexts and in contexts beyond the Christian church. People love having someone to blame for pain whether it's God or another person or themselves even, as though somehow having someone to blame to explain the suffering away will somehow also alleviate the pain. And I've noticed this not just in Christian circles, but in our kind of new age hippie circles where there's this appropriation of um, notions of karma, as well as other religious traditions, as well as Christian traditions. It's a really common default mechanism. And it's in politics too. You may have noticed in the last week, the president of the United States of America blaming the entire nation of China for the coronavirus. And then on the flip side, Chinese high-level officials blaming the US government for the introduction of the coronavirus. 
the human desire to find someone to blame for suffering is uh, as strong as it was then as it is now in an ongoing way. And Jesus' response to this, to this question about, well, who's caused this blindness? Who's caused this suffering, the parents or the man? Jesus' response entirely blows this construct, this blame game out of the water. No one sinned. This is Jesus' response. This is not about sin. This suffering that has occurred has nothing to do with punishment from God. This man being born blind is not about sin, not about the parent's sin or his sin. Sin and suffering are not connected. Sin and suffering are not connected. Gee, I wish Christians would read this account and dwell on it some more. Here Jesus is saying God does not cause suffering in order to punish people. This is not how God acts. This is not who God is. Instead, Jesus is saying something entirely different, offering a glimpse into an entirely other paradigm of being in which this man's blindness becomes a portal for revealing God. God's compassion and tender love. This is not what the disciples are expecting and it's certainly what we continue to still not expect. Indeed, it's led me to think this week that this story about the blind man being healed is as actually as much about us being healed from our collective blindness as it is this particular man. This blindness of thinking that the disciples are captivated by and that we continue to so often be captivated by the blindness of thinking that somehow suffering has some logical reason or that is a logical consequence, the kind of concept that blames victims for their suffering. That's the blindness that is trying to be eradicated or healed in this account. Because ultimately that notion of there must be a reason for suffering or that person um, must deserve it in some way is based in fear. Fear of catching it or fear of God or fear of the reality that we cannot control life. Jesus not only heals this man of blindness, but entirely challenges the disciples and religious leaders and us to put down our blindness of categories of thinking about sin and suffering being connected and our categories of their sinners and their clean, they're saved, they're doomed, all of those categories that we love and that we cling to. This person's favored by God and this person is not. Jesus disrupts all of this. And in John's gospel, Jesus has the ultimate authority to do this. Jesus is God in flesh. So if we look at how Jesus embodies this mercy and healing, we get to see who and how God is within God's self. With a constant impulse to heal, regardless of the rules we create and the categories we create. And did you notice how Jesus goes after this man when everyone else has cast him out? This too reveals who and how God is for us.
looking for us, out searching for us when our community might want to push us to the side or when we feel like ourselves that we should be pushed aside. And for those who are cast aside in our community, that God is the one who goes searching out and calling back into community and helping the rest of the community to see properly the dignity and value of each one. So this story about blindness and sight is for all of us. And I think receiving our sight is often not instantaneous. We can have moments of clarity and then we fall back into fear and judgment. Another moment of clarity, then more fear and judgment. And in times like the ones we're living in now, when the fear is so present in our culture, you can almost feel it when you go out as a physical presence. The desire to start judging, the urge to start condemning is really strong. Whether it's the people we see in footage who are hoarding all the stuff in the shopping trolleys. We're called not to be in disdain, but to be responding in kindness. These people are clearly terrified. So how can we stay in love with them? When our political leaders disappoint us, you know, the question remains, how can we pray for and stay in love with them? Not in fear, not in derision. Not doing the same categories of sinner and saint, just with different language on top. So I wonder, for all of us, in our own lives, when do we fall into this blindness of judging others and blaming others? When do we most often do this? Is it when we're tired or when we're stressed or when we feel unseen ourselves? Just a question to attend to. Another question. When are we like the blind man's parents, afraid to actually stand up and express our own views because we worry about being cast out or dismissed or excluded? Another question. How might we let Jesus... Heal our blindness as individuals and as a community. How can we be more aware of our blind spots and lean into the healing of the living one? And my final wondering for us all is, how might we become more like this amazing blind man? I think he's pretty awesome in this story. He's funny. He's straight up. He's completely unafraid. He sees more than anyone else in this story. And I'm not just talking about his literal physical sight. He gets it more. He names things. He stands up into his own truth. How do we become more like that? And when we are being like that, how do we notice that and stay in that space and affirm that in one another as well? You might want to stay with these questions throughout this week. So when do we fall into blindness? When are we like the blind man's parents, afraid to speak our truth? 
how might we let Jesus heal our blindness as individuals and as a community? And when and how are we like the blind man who just speaks his truth? And how can we support ourselves and one another to do that more? There may have been a particular character in this account in John that really struck you. And I think very often what that indicates for us is something that we're being called to attend to. So if there was a particular moment in this account or a particular person in this account that really struck you, I invite you to go back to that part of the reading during the week and so maybe do some journaling or thinking about what that is speaking to you. Take it to prayer. Again, if there's a particular song that resonates as you reflect on this reading, you might want to pause and play that song. Amazing Grace is going through my head and heart about being blind and now I see there might be a version of that hymn that you love. I know for some people that's a really precious hymn and for some people they've heard it too many times and they're over it. There might be something else that really speaks to you. But if you'd like to pause the recording and sing or play a particular piece of music, feel so welcome to All around the world, across denominations, there's this ancient pattern of what is often called prayers of confession. And we call them prayers of letting go at Richmond Uniting because the word in the Greek of the New Testament, apheo, which means forgive, it literally means let go. And it's the same word that you would use to release or let go a captive who'd been kidnapped or someone who'd been imprisoned. It's a really powerful sense of being liberated and we have these prayers of letting go not as this constant weekly guilt trip but as an invitation to every single one of us to recognize what binds us up and to seek God's strength and healing to be liberated so that we can live more fully in love so that we can breathe in more deeply peace and then share it in our interactions. So again, there'll be some stillness in this time of prayer as well as some words. So let's pray. Holy One, Sacred Three, Being of Light, Bread of Life, Breath of Love, In Jesus, you come among us, calling us out of blindness and into your radiance, into the freedom of love and truth. You call us out of fear, out of our judging and blame games. Help us, like the blind man, to let you near us. Help us to let you heal us. So that we can discover that we are loved and cherished and not condemned. So that your healing balm can tend to our wounds. You know what binds us up, you know what holds us back from the freedom of your love right now. 
So in the stillness we tell you our truth. Please restore our sight more and more so that we can see the shimmer of your love in our beautiful broken world, in our neighbour and in ourselves so that we can allow your compassion to grow up in us and flow from us to others. In Christ we pray. Amen. St. Paul says this. God was in Christ. God was in Christ. Reconciling the world to God's self and not counting our trespasses against us, but entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. So friends, hear Christ's word of grace to every single one of us. Your sins are forgiven. Thanks be to God. Friends, the peace of the Lord be with you. And also with you. If you are gathered with others, you may wish to share a sign of Christ's peace with one another. Another ancient pattern in our Christian tradition as we gather with all those around the world is to pray for our beautiful broken earth. And I often have the image in prayer, prayer of intercessions of imagining ourselves as portals of the divine light pouring through us, pouring into us and through us out to those situations that we name. So today as you listen and as you pray, I, you may, you may not, but you may like to imagine golden light. And we'll begin by praying for those close to our hearts and then extend in wider and wider circles. And as we pray for different parts of our global village, you may wish to imagine that golden circle expanding and expanding and expanding out to each of these places. And there'll be some pauses where you can name aloud or in your heart the particular people who you are praying for. So friends, we gather in confidence, knowing that God is the one who comes in person, in love, seeking out each one, caring for everyone. So amidst our stormy world right now, we pray for our global village. Tender God, ground of our being, water of life, fire of truth, we bring to you those who are on our hearts. 
those who are dealing with illness, those who are grouped by anxiety, those who are dying. We pray that your light and love may illuminate their lives. We pray for those in our church community. Those who are able to gather often and those who are not. We pray for your whole Uniting Church, its leaders, and all those who are trying to learn, like us, how to worship in new ways. May we be open to your Spirit's leading. We pray for those in our community who are really struggling because of coronavirus, whether it's through lack of work or because of homelessness, fatigued doctors and nurses, those with the virus, dear God, may your light and love be extending to them, surrounding them with healing and hope. We pray for the food centre and all those who would normally attend. Please guide us as we seek creative ways of still serving in our community and guide all agencies who are also grappling with these issues. May new possibilities be born amidst this darkness. May new hope, new creativity, new ideas be birthed. We pray for those who are working in the front line, teachers, shop workers, strength for them and we pray that the community will be kind, will find calm again. We pray for policy makers and politicians that they will be guided by compassion and justice and equity at this time. So that those with the least will be cared for. And we pray that each of us, as we go about our life this week in these strange new times may carry your light with us wherever we go, sharing your kindness, embodying hope, being a presence of calm. And we pray together. 
prayer that Jesus gave us, which assures us that we are beloved children, that we are cared for and held and called out of blame games into grace, into nourishment. Our Abba in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Save us in the time of trial and deliver us from evil. For the kingdom and the power and the glory are yours now and forever. Amen. Friends, it's been a real uh, honour to journey with you in this different way of worshipping. Feel welcome to uh, make comments and send feedback in. A blessing for the journey for today and for the coming days. I offer to us all now. Friends, in Christ Jesus, we see the radiance of divine love. The bright morning star who dawns in our hearts. So go in hope. And as you go, may the protecting circle of blessed Trinity, being of light, bread of life, breath of love, uphold you and nourish you and guard you. In the name of Christ, the strong and gentle one. Amen.